time. So, hey, I, I want to real quick start off today. I know school's kicked back into session, and I want to start today with a, a little bit of trivia. I want to see how smart the 1115 service is. So, now let me just let you know, 8 a.m. was really smart, okay? 9.30, a little bit. <laughs> 11.15, this is your moment right here. And so, uh, I, I want you to, I'm going to show you some pictures, and I want you to tell me. So, a group of cows, okay? A group of cows is called a what? Man, y'all are smart. Okay, all right, we're good. I started simple, though. I started easy. <laughs> okay, here we go. A group of lions is called a what? Pride. Pride. Very good, very good. All right, now we're going to step it up a little bit here. Ready? A group of geese is called a what? Who, who, says, who says flock? Raise your hand. Who says gaggle? Raise your hand. Flock is wrong. Gaggle is right. It's a gaggle. Y'all didn't know that? I mean, it's a gaggle. I mean, come on now. Everybody knows it's a gaggle, right? Yeah. Hey, by the way, that, that, was, a, that was a hunter's dream right there. <laughs> um, a flock of crows. Does anybody know what it is? What? <laughs> Someone said annoying in the last service. Um, it's, it's called a murder. I don't know if you knew that. There was a couple, I heard it out here. A murder. Like, yeah, that's, that's, they need to change that name, by the way. So, all right, last one. Here we go. No one has known this one yet. A flock of owls. Does it? <laughs> 8 a.m., someone shouted out, who that nation? No, I said, no, that's not it either. No, that's not it. Anybody know what it is? Yep, it is called a parliament, a parliament. Y'all are learning deep truths here at our Savior's Church already, a parliament, yeah. Hey, so here's the cool thing. When y'all leave here and y'all go to lunch with your family, you're gonna be smart, so you just tell them. I bet you don't know what a flock of houses is. <laughs> and they'd be like, you need to go to a different church. Um, so yeah, so a group, of, a group of cattle, a group of lions, we, we, we have terminology for all that. There's, there's even a terminology that people use for a group of people who come together to sing and to hear preaching, and they call that the what? The church. They call it the church. I'm going to push back a little bit today, though, with I don't think that's the church. I think that people that just come together just to sing some songs and to hear some preaching um, is not the church. I think a group of people who come together to know God and to find freedom, and to discover the purpose, and make a difference. Come on, I believe that's a church. I believe that's a church. That's, a, that's another level. And so I want to show you, as we've been studying the book of Acts, um, a, a great visual image of what the church is. It's in Acts chapter 2. If you want to go there, you'll, you'll, you should have it on your notes. We're going to put it on the screen for you. But Acts chapter 2 gives us an incredible description of what the church was, what they did. It says, and all the believers met together. So it's one of the components of what a church does. They meet together in one place, and they shared what? What did they share? Everything, okay? So it's a, a marking of a, of a generous people. They shared everything that they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They also, what else do they do? Worship together. Okay, so I want you to notice, every time it says together, or they, 
Okay? So they met together. They shared everything together. They worshiped together at the temple each day. But not only that, watch this. They also met where? They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. So it wasn't just the church for them was not just what they did at the temple once a week, how most of us would probably describe the church as a place we go to on a Sunday. They met in homes. They met they did, they did life groups. They did small groups together. They, they met throughout the week. And, and here's the best part. And they shared what? Gumbo. <laughs> okay, come on, somebody. Hey, how many of y'all know eating jambalaya is spiritual? Y'all know that? Come on, somebody. So it wasn't no kale, I can tell you that either. All right, so they probably had some Popeyes and all that good stuff. Okay, so they shared meals with great, because the reason I know it wasn't kale is because they had great joy. And... Um, <laughs> Come on. And uh, I just offended somebody that really loves kale right now. And, and generosity and all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. Now, because of all of this, each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So every day God was adding people to the church. People were getting saved every day, not just Sunday. Every day they were, they were happening. And so most people, when they think of the church, they think, they think of a pastor they think of a program, um, they think of uh, preaching, they think of potluck, <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of anything else with P. Okay, uh, th- this is what they think of when they think of church, but I, I want you to write this down. Here's, here's a, a big thought. The activated church is a spiritual family. The activated church is a spiritual family. So we've been unpacking this over the past couple of weeks of really what is an activated church? What does an activated church look like? Talk about prayer, and we've talked about the power of the Holy Spirit. We've talked about what it is to love our church. We've talked, to, we've talked a number of things. But today I want to talk about this power of spiritual family. Now, if you've been around our church for any duration of time, you probably have heard that terminology, spiritual family. Maybe you haven't. Maybe this is your first time and you're hearing it. But we consider our church to be a spiritual family that it's not a place that you go to, but it's a family you belong to. And you're going to see this all throughout the book of Acts, is that the church was not just a place that they went to. It was a people that they did life with. And I believe our culture right now is hungry for family, more than ever before. We're so hungry and desperate for family. I I, I read a a thing online uh, a couple weeks back, and they talked about this term. Here was the term. It was called crowded loneliness. Crowded loneliness. It was that more and more people in our generation are around a lot of people, but still desperately lonely. Now think about this, and I, I don't think social media has probably helped with this. The average person on social media, like let's say Facebook, for example, has 338 friends. That's the average person, 338 friends. But when they surveyed those people, over 50% of those people said they did not have one real friend, like an actual friend, like one that they could actually pick up the phone and call and have come over. And so we have a society right now, and I'll, I'll, I'll go as far as to say, I don't think it's just even an epidemic with older generation. I think our young people right now are craving relationships. They're craving. And, and here's the beauty. The church has to offer. We got the answer to this. We have the answer to crowded loneliness. In a, in a, in a church the size that ours is, especially even in a room of this size, it's amazing how many people can be in a room like this, and yet people feel so lonely. So lonely, so, so alone. And so our, our, our God wants us to be in family. Now, if we know God wants us to be in family, can you imagine what the enemy's goal is? For you not to be. Here's the terminology I want to use. Isolation. 
Write this down. Isolation is Satan's strategy to keep you from what God has for you. Isolation is Satan's strategy to keep you and I from all that God has for us. He just wants to keep us isolated. Now, we've all probably had seasons of our lives where we were more isolated than others, but I want to give you two, two thoughts, two reasons why I feel like many people struggle with isolation. Now, there's so many more. We don't have enough time to go through them, but I feel like these are two of the big ones. So when I, when I talk to people, um, I, I, this is usually what I hear. So the first one is, we've been hurt. We've been hurt. All right, let's be all honest in here. How many know family is messy? Family is hard. Family is annoying. Fam- okay, watch out. Your family's on your row. Okay, um, family, <laughs> you got to go home with these people. Um, Family, family's painful, right? I mean, okay. How many of you have hurt somebody in your family? You've hurt somebody in your family. Okay. I, and I didn't say physically or not. <laughs> yes, and physically. And so, uh, but how many of you have been hurt by family? Yeah, all of us. It's 100%. 100% of us in this room have hurt somebody in our, in, our, in our family, probably with words or with fists, one of the two. We've also been hurt by people. And yet what I hear often from people is, man, I, I, I really don't want to be in a church because I don't want to get hurt. Well, newsflash, it's going to happen. Uh, I'll, I'll go as far as to say, if you haven't been offended by something that we've done yet, just stick around. <laughs> like, it's going to happen. Like, we're going to probably say some things we shouldn't have said or we'll do some things. I mean, we're all still, still human. You know, there's still humanity within us. And so is it the desire? No, but... Anybody in here ever gotten food poisoning? Anybody got, man, that's a lot of y'all. Y'all been, I can tell y'all probably where y'all ate too. I mean, <laughs> listen, if you had sushi at a place that sells hamburgers, pizza, chicken, steak, <laughs> and all of that, don't eat the sushi. Okay, just letting you know. I'm just trying to give y'all some warning. I'm trying to pastor y'all. Okay, all right. So, but I, I guarantee you, after you got over your, your food poisoning, I guarantee you, you didn't go, you know what? I'm not eating anymore. I'm done with food. No, probably most of y'all were like, okay, I need to eat. <laughs> That's the same thing that people do with church. Is man, I've been hurt by people. You know what? I'm not doing church anymore. What? No, get back in there. Like, how, how incredibly smart of the enemy to allow you to believe a lie that, oh, if people have hurt me, I'm never going to be around people anymore. Here's the, here's the truth, though. This is how God works. Think about this. The same people who have hurt you, God uses people also to heal you. So watch. This is crazy. What the enemy has used to hurt you, God uses to heal you. Watch. James chapter 5. Watch how this says. I love it in the Passions Translation. It says it this way. Confess and acknowledge how you have what? Offended one another. This is what he's saying. Like, you're going to get offended so go ahead and just bring it out. Let's, let's talk about it. Confess it. Let's acknowledge it. Let's, let's talk about how we've offended one another. And then watch. And then post it on Facebook and let everybody know. No, but that's what we do. Go text all of your friends and tell them how bad this person is. No, it says actually you confess it. And then you, God, you going to make me pray? Yeah. And watch, pray for one another and then watch what's going to happen. There's, there's going to be healing that ha- takes place. 
So think about this. The strategy of the enemy is for you to realize that people will hurt you, but God's strategy is for you to realize that people will heal you. We pray to God for forgiveness, but we pray with others to find healing. And the enemy's goal is for you to walk around with open wounds. Open wounds. I'm sorry for what your mom did to you. I'm sorry for what your dad said about you. I'm sorry for that husband that bailed on your family. I'm sorry for that other church that was not Christian-like. I'm sorry for the people that have done things to you, but I'm here to tell you to tell you that even though that has happened to you, God still wants to use people to help find healing in your life. I don't trust any people anymore. I don't trust men anymore. I don't trust. That's, that's the enemy. That's the enemy. Number two, second reason we isolate is we have shame. So not only do we have pain, but we also have shame. This is where maybe we're embarrassed of of something that we've done in our life. Maybe we're embarrassed because of something that's happened in our life. And And here's how the enemy works. The enemy tells you, don't tell anybody about that. Don't tell anybody about that. And here's what, here's, here's how the enemy goes. He says, you're probably the only one who really deals with this anyways. How many of you ever heard that before? Like, nobody else is going to know what this is like. Nobody else has walked through this. And that's what I love about, about our life groups is when people get together and they start sharing about things in their life, the, pers- the people in the group go, you too? <laughs> I thought that was only me. It's like freedom opens up in people's lives because they realize like, hey, that same lie that they're believing, everybody in this group's believing. And so what the enemy wants to do is he wants to cover our shame. He wants to hide our shame. And listen, the only thing that grows in the dark is sin and fungus. True? So when we expose it to the light, we expose it to people in our life, there's healing that comes into our life. Y'all ever had a mom growing up where like she was like yelling at you, and like you did something stupid or whatever, and she's like yelling at you, and I'm gonna spank you, and I'm gonna, and then the phone rang, and she's like, hello? <laughs> hey, girl, oh, oh, it's going good, oh, it's great, it's good, it's good. We look forward to having you, oh, so, and she's like staring at you, like, I'm gonna kill you, I'm gonna kill you. Hey, and you're like, what's going on here? Yup, anybody had that happen before? <laughs> Who's done that before, okay, so, <laughs> yeah. Pastor Josh, I'm so glad you called. (laughs) Hey, that's the church. That happens in church all the time. Like, people like screaming at their kids on the way to church, and then they pull in the driveway like, hey. Get out the car, Parker's greeting you. How y'all doing? Oh, we're blessed. Oh, it's such a great day. Such a great day. Kids are getting out, and they're like doing this. You look at the kids and they're like, help, 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 right? Like we've always wanted to create a place and and have a church where like you could take the mask off. Now, here's what I know. Okay, listen, none of us want to take the mask off in a big room like this. I wouldn't either. But that's why we, we get into smaller gatherings where we can get around five or six or seven or eight people and, and we can let people into the real us. Because here's, here's, here's what I want you to so understand. You can't be fully loved until you're fully known. If there's an element of your life that you know that no one knows about, you can never really fully receive full love because you'll always say, they're only loving me because they see me the way that this is. But as soon as I let them into what I'm really dealing with, they're not going to love me anymore. Which, by the way... 
most of that is a lie. Because I, if there's anything, I have loved men in our church even more after they've told me what they were struggling with. Because we're not fake. We're, we're pulling the mask off and saying, this is really me. And here's, what, here's, here's the beauty of that. When you fully are known and you let the mask off, the enemy has nothing to play with anymore. Because he can't be like, oh, they don't know about this. You're like, yeah, they know. <laughs> they don't know about your marriage. Yeah, they know about that too. Like, as soon as I'm open, I have an open book to my life, to my marriage, to my walk, to my soul, guess what? The enemy can't use it against me anymore. So isolation happens by keeping us cut off from the thing that God wants to put in our life to help us. So God, God's always pushing us into community. He's always pushing us into together. He's all, we over me constantly throughout the scriptures. We over me. And I promise you right now, if, you, if you'll track back through your journey with Christ, if you've been, been, been a Christian for a, a series of time, and you look at your journey with the Lord, I can almost guarantee and tell you that the time that you struggled with the most was probably when you were the loneliest. And the time you were probably most on fire for the Lord was when you were most plugged in. I'm just, tell, I'm just trying to help you here. If, if you want to know the secret to longevity and stirring up your affections for Jesus, get around people who have affections for Jesus. So I want to share with you three things that you can only find in spiritual family. You cannot find these outside of spiritual family. It's only in spiritual family do you find these things. Let me give you the first one. Number one is unity. Acts chapter 13 verse 1 is a scripture most of us would probably quickly skip over because you don't see any reference to why you need this scripture, but I am going to now show you why this scripture is so important. Acts 13.1, among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch. So he's about to give us an inside look into the church that had started at Antioch of Syria. There was Barnabas and there was Simeon. He was called the black man. That was not a derogatory terminology. That was that's what he was. There was Lucius from Cyrene, there's Menaean, the childhood companion of King Herod, Herod Atempus, and then there was Saul. Five leaders in the New Testament church in, the, in, in uh, Antioch. Why would they give us the names of all of the leaders in Antioch? Well, you have to understand who these guys are. So I went and did some research to find out who exactly are these guys. The five leaders that are mentioned, watch this. One's from the Middle East, one's from Asia, one's from the Mediterranean, and two are from Africa. They were telling us that the early church's leadership was culturally diverse. That, that you cannot represent Jesus by yourself. You need other people to fully represent Christ. Like, you can't do that alone. Like, you need other people to represent who Christ is. That's why we're not a white church. Hey, by the way, Jesus wasn't white. Some of y'all, that like just blew your bubble up. Like, what? Like, he wasn't white. He wasn't black either. He wasn't Hispanic. He wasn't Chinese. Like, how many know, like, when you get to heaven, like, it's not white people. It's not black people. It's like white and black and Asian and Mexican and, and every cultural, every nation, every tribe is going to be there. If you have people with uh, problems with people of other race, you won't like heaven. You won't like our church. Because we're going to be a church that is multi-generational, meaning that it's going to be young and older, young, younger, older, okay being careful there, <laughs> that, that we're going to be a church that is multicultural, we're going to be a church that 
is that you're going to be sitting around people and having people in your life group that view politics different than you. You're going to have people that are sitting in your group that view parenting different than you. You're going to have people that are sitting in things they are not Republican. You're going to have people that are sitting in your group that, that maybe have different philosophies on everything. But here's the beauty of how God works and how he builds this church. He puts people from all different backgrounds and all different ages and all different races, and he puts them in a place and he says, you're going to worship me together because there's no greater distinction of what God does than when he puts people that are different together. There's nothing that, sh- that, that declares the greatness of God than putting people who you look around this room, you wouldn't be friends with half of the people in this room. You'd be like, I wouldn't be friends with him or her or her or her. And now you go to church together. Why? Because that's how awesome God is. He puts people from all different walks of life and he says, you're going to love one another. Most people walk out of this church and they can't get along with their neighbor. Nevertheless, the people in there, are y'all with me? So unity, the Bible says it's the unity and love for one another that tells the world what Christ has done. You can't find that anywhere but in spiritual family. Number two, strength. Strength. One of the greatest things that God gives us is strength in spiritual family. Now watch the next chapter, Acts chapter 14. Then some Jews arrived from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowds to their side. They stoned Paul and drug him out of town. Okay, watch. Thinking he was dead. Nope, go back. Thinking he was dead. But as the believers gathered around him. Okay, so I want you to see the power of spiritual family right now. The believers gather around a dead Saul, dead Paul. His name's Paul now. What do you think they're doing? Praying. I believe that too. I believe they're praying for him. Okay, watch the next verse. He got up, gets better, and goes back into the town that just killed him. Hey, anybody that says that Christianity is for wimps, they need to come meet with Paul. That's a bad man right there. You got stoned. You got drug out of the city. The church comes and prays for you. You rise from the dead, and then you walk back into the city that killed you, and you're like, I'm back. I'd be like, don't touch him. Do not touch him. Now, what do you think a stoned guy looks like? And I'm not talking about recreationally. I'm talking about like, (laughs) some of you are like, (laughs) Uh, I know it was a late night. I understand. You're welcome here. I'm glad you're here. Um, Like a guy who 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 was beaten with rocks. Like, what do you think he looks like? Yeah, he's all messed up, right? Like, like broken bones, face disfigured. I mean, like he was killed with stones, okay? Think, I, I, I mean, he wasn't just like strolling up. I'm sure he was limping back into the town that he was in. I mean, let's just put ourselves into this, into this thing. We can so quickly read over this stuff and lose what's happening in this moment. The, the guy's bloody and, I mean, busted face, busted lip, busted body, Walks back up into the, to the city that just stoned him. Watch the next verse. So the next day, he leaves with Barnabas for Derby after preaching the good news in Derby and making many disciples. And Paul and Barnabas returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch of Poseidon, where they strengthened the believers. Now think about this. 
in the moment where he was down for the count and he was out, the church rallied around him to give him strength. And now that he's got strength, he's going around traveling to churches and he's strengthening them. This is what this tells me. Listen to me. An activated church is full of people who give and receive strength from one another. Give and receive strength from one another. He got strength and now he's given strength. Can you imagine what it'd be like for Paul to walk up into their church? Notice, like he's not, he doesn't look good. His face would be all jacked up. His body would be all jacked up and he'd be going in like, hey, how can I pray for you? And they're like, can we pray for you? This is the mark of a mature believer, by the way, is that you come into a place and it's not about you, but you come into a place. But how many know there are times where it does need to be about you? He just had a moment where it was all about him. He was dead. I need the church. But once he got his strength back, then he went back and gave strength to others. The Bible says one person can put 1,000 to flight, but two people can put 10,000 to flight. It's, I'm going to tell you, you become 10 times stronger when you connect with other people. When you get around other people, I don't need just people to hang with me. I need people that will help me. You and I need spiritual family who don't just hang with us. They need to help us. I need people in my life that will help me in my walk with Christ. Look what Proverbs 17, 17 says this. A friend is always loyal and a brother is born to what? To help in what? In a time of what? In a time of need. Some of you are in a place right now where you need help. You just have believed the lie that you can't tell anybody. And maybe you were raised in a family like I was where I was told that if you need help or you need something, you keep it to yourself and you fix yourself. Anybody in here was raised in a family where they're like, don't bother other people with your own problems? That was mine as well. Like we deal with it, we fix it. But the problem is that's a lie. Some of you, your marriages are jacked up, your finances are jacked up, you're about to claim bankruptcy, it's, it's hard at work, you're about to quit, your kids are going crazy, you don't know what to do, and you don't want anybody to know. I'm here to tell you, tell somebody, because here's the truth, in spiritual family, you'll find strength. We've got a guy in our church that's a financial genius, it's a financial genius when it comes to money. So when there's areas of my life that, that I need help financially, guess who I call? Hey, man, I need some help. And here's what happens. His strength becomes my strength. Y'all see how this works? Like, I'm, we're, we're told that if you have problems, you're weak. No, if you have problems, you're human. Amen. Only weak people don't ask for help. Strong people understand that I'm not smart enough and I need people around me that can help me. I'm gonna get some strength from people because a brother was born for a time of need. This is what God does. Number three and last one is encouragement. Encouragement. Not only is it unity and not only is it strength, but it's also encouragement. The rest of that verse in Acts 14 says, not only did they go around strengthening the believers, but they also, what did they do? They encouraged them to continue in the faith. The only time you need to encourage somebody to continue in the faith is when they're ready to quit it. They're ready to quit. And he continues to encourage them, reminding them. Here's what he reminds them. Hey, by the way, guys, you're going to suffer many hardships. Thanks, Paul. You're such an encourager. No, he's honest. But he encourages them in the same. Now, you don't have to raise your hand for this, but how many of you have ever wanted to quit? How many of you have ever wanted to quit your marriage? Quit your family, quit parenting, 
Quit your job. Quit. <laughs> yes. Quit. Yesterday. Um, quit. Quit your faith. Man, this, this scripture is telling us he was encouraging them to continue in the faith because they were going to suffer many hardships. And I believe one of the greatest gifts you and I can give people is encouragement. Hebrews actually says it this way. Hebrews 3.13 says, encourage one another every day. Hey, here's my question. Why would, why would he tell us to encourage people every day? You ready? Because the voices of discouragement and depression talk every day. Anybody hear that voice every day? You can't do this. You don't have enough. You can't make it. You're not going to make it. This isn't going to work. God doesn't love you. They don't love you. Nobody cares for you. Anybody hear those voices every day? Well, this, hey, listen, Scripture is telling us, hey, everybody's hearing those voices every day. They just need to hear encouraging voices too. Every day. Every day. Watch, watch what Scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. It says, when we arrived in Macedonia, there was no rest for us. We faced conflict from every direction. Anybody feel like that's your life verse right there? <laughs> Facing conflict from all directions, everywhere. Watch how the conflict is playing out. I've got battles on the outside, and I've got fear on the inside. I really honestly believe that more of us struggle with things on the inside than we do on the outside. Insecurities, fears, worry, depression. That's all battles on the inside. Paul's going, hey, listen, can I just encourage you for a moment? We're facing conflict from every direction. I'm facing conflict from the outside, and I'm facing conflict from the inside. Come on, he was a real person with real battles. But I love the next verse. It says, but God. How many are thankful that when you want to quit, you got a but God in the middle of that? But God who encourages those who are who? So if you walk in here and you're discouraged, don't worry. God encourages. God encourages. And watch how he encourages. He encouraged us by the arrival of Titus. Amen. His presence was a joy. Paul's ready to quit. He's done. He's physically exhausted, emotionally tapped out, spiritually doesn't know what's going on, dealing with fears on the inside. God, I need help. God doesn't send a miracle. God sends a brother. God says, you need some help? Here's the answer, Titus. Amen. Titus? What's Titus doing here? Because Titus comes, and Titus, Titus is a physical representation of the encouragement of God. And some of you have been pushing away God's physical representations of his encouragement in your life because you've been stiff-arming people, not realizing that's what God wants to use to give you the answer to the prayer you've been praying. My marriage needs help. My marriage needs help. Someone's coming in, wants to help you, and you're like, I don't need you. I'm good. You don't realize you just stiff-armed the answer that God was sending to the prayer you were praying. God, our finances are messed up. God, we need it. And God's got people in this house that can actually help you, but you don't want to ask for it. So you don't get it, and then you blame God for not getting it. And God goes, I kept trying to send it to you. You just kept saying you didn't want it. God's greatest way of encouraging and strengthening us is he brings people into our lives. Truett Cathy, who was the, uh, the founder of Chick-fil-A, God's chicken, he said, come on, somebody. 
we're not, okay, we're not having the Popeye's debate right now. All right, so Truett Cathy says it this way. Watch, watch what Truett Cathy says. He says, how do you identify someone who needs encouragement? They're breathing. They're breathing. Like, do they have a pulse? Okay, good, encourage them. They did a survey to determine um, how, how long people could withstand pain. They brought two different guys into the survey. One guy that kept in a room, filled it with ice and water, had him, had him lay in the entire thing, and they timed him to see how long he could withstand you know, the, the pain of, of the coldness. So they clocked his time. They brought the other guy in, but what they didn't tell this guy is they allowed this guy to bring his best friend. And so they told him, you're going to get into the water. Your friend cannot, though, but he can stand right there with you. After the survey was over, they discovered that the person that had their friend with them not only was stayed in there longer, he stayed in there twice as long as the other guy. And they learned that in this moment that we can withstand major pain when we have people in our life encouraging us. When you want to quit and your friend goes, don't quit, don't quit. No, I'm going to quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. I'm quitting right now. No, you can still do this. You can still do this. Encouragement is what keeps us going no matter what the adversity faces. So this is the important part of us in spiritual family, in spiritual place. And I'm going to tell you, 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 you do such an incredible job at this. Our church does such an incredible job at this. I hear from people constantly that walk into this church that feel like they're done and then walk out of here and feel like they're ready to go again. But how do you get this? How do you, how do you, how do you get spiritual family? How do, how do you get in it? Let me, let, me, let me share with you two thoughts and we're done. Two thoughts on how do you become a part of a spiritual family. Number one, you commit to it. You commit to it. So this, this April, Lindsay and I will be married 17 years. So yeah, come on now. I don't know if y'all are applauding for us or for her, um, but she, <laughs> she's lasted 17 years. So before we got married, you know, we dated. We, we, we kind of attended, you know, we went on the date together, and then I'd drop Reverend home, and I'd date. But, but I didn't want to just have the attendance. Like, I wanted to be a full-on member. So, like, I had to make a commitment, though. So I, I had to get down on the knee. I had, to, I had to buy the expensive ring. Like, I had to show my commitment. I had to ask her. We, we, I, had to, I had to spend money on a, on a wedding, and we did all this. And, and she said, I do, and we, said, we both said, I do. And we both, I just want to make sure y'all knew, I did too. I mean, we both said. But here's the cool thing, though, is she went from, we went from having an attender type of relationship to a member type of relationship. And when you're a member, there's benefits you get that you don't get as an attender. Y'all will get there. It just flew over a lot of y'all there. Y'all are like, I don't know if I should laugh or not laugh. I don't know what I do. But there's benefits that come with being committed to the relationship. What's sad though is nowadays most people want the benefits without the commitment. They want the benefits of marriage without the commitment of marriage. They want the benefits of a church without actually having to do anything. They want the benefits of a job without actually not having to work. 
This is true. I'm telling you, this is our society that we live in. People want the benefits and the privileges of something. They don't want the commitment that it takes to go with it. And, and so uh, it's very important for you to understand that if you want to get the best out of a relationship, you have to commit to it. And the same is true, I believe, for a spiritual family. If you want to receive all the benefits of a family, you need to be in the family. You need to commit to it. Like we talk about next step and we talk about dream teams and we talk about life groups and we talk about all, all these are, listen, all they are are just ways to get you into the family. That's it. That's it. I don't want something from you. I want something for you. I want when you get that phone call that someone in your family died, that you could pick up the phone the next one and have 20 people show up at your house because they love you. I want that when you have that heart attack and you're in the hospital, that you don't stay in the hospital for two weeks alone. Like, I want people in your life. Like, that's what I want. I want when you're going through marriage issues or family issues that, that you, can, you can gather with some people and just go, hey, this is what I'm dealing with. I just, I just need help. Like, I want you to have that so bad. And I want you to understand how bad you need that. I need that. I want you to have that. And in order to have that, you've, you've got to commit to it. But secondly, in order to have that, you've got to contribute to it. Like, so yesterday, a, a guy in our church came to my house and surprised me and brought, brought me a lawnmower. Um, I haven't had a lawnmower for years. My, my lawnmower is broken, so I've been having to borrow guys in our church and all this stuff. And a guy drove up in my driveway and he said, hey, I just bought a brand new one. This one's still really good. I want you to have it. So after I kissed him, I said, uh, <laughs> I said, oh, wait, hold on. He's like, I'm going to show you how to, how to work it. I said, awesome, awesome. Hold on, though. I said, real quick. So I ran inside, and I brought my oldest son outside with me. I said, hey, we're going to learn this thing together. Just so I was like, what am I doing out here? I'm like, just watch. So he's showing us how the mower works and all that stuff, and, you know, we thank him, and he drives off, and so Saya's, you know, walking back to the house. I'm like, whoa, 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 hold up. Where are you going? He's like, I'm going back inside. I was like, uh-huh. Hop on. He's like, Dad, what you talking about? We got some grass to cut around here. He's like, are you serious? I said, hey, you and the family. So guess what? If you want my free Wi-Fi, and you want my free food, and you want my free house, you got some responsibilities around here to do. So he got on that mower and he's mowing the grass. I mean, I'm crying. Oh my God. This is... Finally, we're in this place. But he's in my house. He's got responsibilities that come with being in my house. He's got to put, put in his part. I'm putting in my part. His mom's putting in her part. All of our boys have a part to play to make our house what it is. Same is true with a spiritual family. You don't just commit to it, you contribute to it. So you don't just show up and, and tip. Like you, you tithe because this is your house. Like you see trash outside, you pick it up because this is your house. Like you commit to things, you, you help, you, you do your part because this is, hey, this is our house. This isn't Pastor Josh's house. This isn't anybody, this is our house. And how many know, how many have been blessed by this house? Anybody been blessed by this house? Listen, so if you've been blessed by this house, let's be all a part of it. So as y'all can tell, like, 
like we barely have room in this 11:15 service. If you come into the 9:30 service, we have no room in the 9:30 service. The only service that we actually have room in is the 8 a.m. service. But nobody getting up at 8 a.m. So, so that's not going any further. But we do know that God's called us to continue to reach people and continue to build lives. So I'm excited to announce that October 6th, we're launching a fourth service. So, yeah. 5 p.m., everybody. We will now officially have a night service for people to come to. Y'all are really excited because you're like, I get to sleep in all morning. For some of y'all, this is a strange just to get here for 11.15. But listen, I know you know people that have to work on the mornings and they can't come to church. I know there's some of you that, that, that Sunday's the only day you can, you can sleep in. Uh, I, I also know that there's people that want to come check us out, but th- this is the only time that they can. So we're going we're gonna to make the sacrifice to do a whole nother service. But, but let, me, let, let me just be very honest. We need you to do it. Like, it takes about 50 people every, every Sunday to pull off each service. There's about 200 Dream Team people that makes our, our I mean, 150 people that make our three services uh, to pull this off. We're going to need you. We're going to need you to step up and not just attend. We're going to need you to contribute. We're going to need you to commit. We're going to need you to be involved. But I, I don't know about y'all. What excites me is every day when we see people raise their hand for salvation and we see your friends and your neighbors and your family members, come on, how many know I'll do as many services as we got to do to keep reaching people in this city and this region to reach people. So, so we're excited. So this week, you can, you can start letting people know. October 6th, we'll kick it off. It'll be every Sunday. Is it going to be hard? Yep. Will it be tiresome? You better believe it. But is eternity worth it? Hands down. Come on, how many know eternity is worth it? So, Father, we love you. Let me pray. Father, we love you. And, God, we thank you for your heart. Your heart is not, not that any person would be alone, not that any person would be isolated. And I speak right now to every lie that every person in this room has believed. God, that they're not enough, that you don't love them. God, any lie that has happened because of maybe hurts in other previous relationships, I don't know if I can trust people. God, maybe it's the shame of, of things that has, has happened in their life. Things that they've done that they've been, they've been ashamed of or things that they have done that has, been hap- that has happened to them. But it has isolated them. Today, God, I, I speak to that lie and I, I pray, God, that you, in this moment, would let them to connect with people. Connect with the spiritual family, God, that is going to walk with them and help them and encourage them and strengthen them. God, we, we know the strategy of the enemy and we pray right now that you would diffuse that lie. And I pray today that more people would get connected into life-giving relationships. Relationships that they know that they need. God, I thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing. With all heads bowed, if you're, if you're here in this room, the, the greatest relationship that God wants you to connect with is with him himself. That, this is not something that, that happens with you, when you attend church. This is not something that happens by taking communion or even being water baptized. None of those things can make our relationship with God right. The only thing is, is believing that Jesus came and he took your shame and your guilt and your past and he, he died for that. And our sin has separated us from God. But Jesus came and he was the perfect substitute for us. He bore all of that on the cross 
and he rose again. And he says that if we will confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That God will come and he'll make us new on the inside. If you're here in this place and you don't have a relationship with God, I want to pray for you today. If that's you, all across this room, I just want you to shoot your hands up. One, two, three. If that's you, all across this room, Pastor Josh, pray for me. Pray for me. Pray for me. Come on, hands going up all across this room. Thank you. Thank you. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Praise God. Praise God. Eight. Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hands down right there where you are. Dear Lord Jesus, I pray right now for every person that's raised their hand. I want you to pray this prayer with me. I want you to pray, Father, I believe that you came and sent your son to die on a cross for my sins, my shame, and my guilt. You faced hell for me so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a purpose on earth a relationship with your Father and a place in heaven. Today, Jesus, I repent of my sins and I make you the Lord and Savior of my life. God, you're my Father. Jesus, you're my Savior. Heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen.